Jamie Dinger, Amanda with you here in the Green Zone on a Thursday afternoon. Uh, we'll keep you up to date on the uh, Scotties, Crystal McCarville and Caitlin Laws. 1-1 right now. That is the uh, feature game and the key game. McCarville wins. She's into the playoffs. A loss and things could get really weird when it comes to the tiebreakers at the Scotties Tournament of Hearts. But last night, Austin Matthews' watch was in Arizona and... He didn't only score 50, he scored his 51st, which kind of nearly bounced off his face. But, hey, when you're that hot, sometimes you get lucky. And 51 and 54 games, Terry Koshin writes for the Toronto Sun following the Toronto Maple Leafs. Joining us now, Terry, thanks for your time. Hey, thanks for having me. So I have uh, proclaimed Austin Matthews the winner of the Hart Trophy already on February the 22nd. Mm-hmm. Uh, will I be wrong or not? Well, it's funny you should bring that up. I'm, I'm just writing a column on that ahead of tonight's game and saying that, yeah, that's my lead. Set it, win it again for the second time in three years. If, you know, listen, if he falls off his pace and he finishes, let's say, 65 goals or 64 or whatever, doesn't hit 70, then, then you know, perhaps we take another look at it. But, you know, he's fully capable of scoring 19 goals in the, in the least remaining games to hit 70. We all know how rare that season is. And it's not like, you know, we're not telling, uh, revealing any secrets here. Matthew's not a one-trick pony. The guy does so many things well, and he's moved up to fifth overall in NHL scoring. Um, you know, I know Connor McDavid, uh, uh, Nikita Kucherov, and Nathan McKinnon have all factored in a higher percentage of their team's goals as a whole. But, um, you know, no one has scored, what, almost 26% of their, their team's goals like Matthew has, has and, and just... Um, you know, the recognition of, of the rarity of it and, uh, you know, the way that he's just plowed through everybody this year. I think it only comes to our trophy if he gets a 70 for sure. I just I just don't, uh, you know, see how it could be any other way. I mean, he won two years ago and he had 60 and, 100, and 106 uh, goals and, and points, sorry. And part of that was the recognition of how rare a 60-goal season is. Well, 70 is, is crazier and, you know, he could... On pace now for seventy six, only 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 four players have scored. Uh, three players have scored more in a season. You know what's what's not to like about him for his second Hart Trophy in uh, three years. And Terry Koshin joining us of the Toronto Sun as the uh, Leafs uh, continue to go five and zero without Morgan Riley. Yeah. So are they cutting his ice time now that he's back in the lineup tonight against Vegas? I don't know what they'll do. I, I, listen, I uh, probably not. Uh, you know, I, I'm curious to see how Sheldon Keyes goes with his defense configurations. You know, in, in Riley's absence, uh, a bit of a revelation. TJ Brody was back to the left side, and we know that, you know, him being a left-handed shot, he's he's worked the right side for, for much of his career, certainly all of his time in Toronto. But this was based on a necessity to get him to the left, and he formed a great bearing with Timothy Lilligren, who also really stepped into that uh, breach there left by Riley and has played some excellent hockey. I had to say nothing of what Simone Benoit has done as a surprise for the team and, you know, the improved play of Jake McCabe. But, um, I, I don't know. Riley is their workhorse on the blue line, period. He's, he's led the team in, in ice time, average ice time for, you know, six, seven, eight years in a row now. So I don't think that's going to change. But the nice thing is, when, you know, when you see these injuries happen, you know what, you're forced into using options uh, you might not have considered before. And now that you're, there's a, there's some uh, normalcy back on the blue line with Riley coming back in tonight, 
you know, you can go to those options again. But like I say, I, I'll be curious to see what he does with it. Brody effective on the left side to keep him there, and they're and in doing that, uh, split up the the the, um, the Ronnie Brody combination. But you know, I'm joking. There've been jokes about you know they're keeping him out because they've been great without him and five and zero oh and. The record last year, I think, with O'Reilly in the lineup was fourteen two and one. But the fact of the matter is, on the whole, they're a better team with him there in the lineup, and uh, you know, I would expect that to uh, continue over the uh, over what's left here of the regular season. Terry, going back to uh, Austin and his scoring, as you mentioned, the three yeah. players Wayne Wayne Gretzky, Brett Hull, and Mario Lemieux yeah. um, have only scored more. If he continues on his pace, he's going to maybe surpass McGillney, Phil Esposito, Tim Solani. That hasn't been done scoring at that 76, 77 goal mark since 92, 93. Right. Even like 50 is rare. 60 is really rare. Yeah. 70s, we're talking superstar elite, best goal yeah. scorer in the game today. Yeah. When you look at, you've been around the game a long time. When you look at what Austin is doing and how he is doing it, what do you see as compared to, and I hate doing comparisons, but I'll do it anyway, as compared to the great goal scorers you've watched? Well, I just, uh, you know, I think the thing that sticks out, and you know, you remember the, you know, the the, the, the obvious reference point is 92-93 when both McGill right. and Slaney scored uh, 76 goals. Um, you know, and watching Gretzky uh, growing up and everything, and, you know, he, he more or less did it as a habit, and he wound up doing it four times. Of course, <laughs> what ninety two? So the difference, I, I don't know. It's um, comparing, comparing. It's almost like comparing the games, apples and oranges, to when 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 it was yeah. happening in ninety two, ninety three. The game's a lot different now. We know that, but in doing what Matthews is doing, and now and looking across the National Hockey League, um, he, he just has no peers in the. In the ability to score from anywhere, uh, when, you, when you're below the hash marks and even above them, really in the offensive zone. And, and when I say anywhere, I mean we saw the first goal he scores last night to get to 50. He's off at a bad angle. There's no way that that puck should go in. Um, but two things: a, he has the confidence to do it because he scored from there before, and, and you know, b, uh, it, it goes in for him because he, he knows he can score from there. And you know. However many players that are national hockey right now, probably all but one or two of them could say the same thing. And one of those players would be um, uh, Nikita Kucherov, the Tampa Bay Lightning. There, it just it's just the um, that deceptiveness, uh, you know, the, the shot itself, um, the usage of it. There was another you know game, one of the home games last week, guys, where he, the Marner set up on the power play. Um, you know, I apologize, I can't remember who's against now, but it's it's a short side goal. That has about a puck size hole that Matthews can hit, and he hits it square, and it goes. The puck goes into the net. I think it was the Anaheim, the game against yeah. Anaheim. But we've seen that happen so many times, and and it's, it's what's helped set him apart. I think a couple of things that stand out for me is what he's done this year. Is he has not scored one empty net goal. Um, he has not so no freebies, if you will. And you know Sam Reinhardt for Florida Panthers is having what we would consider a really good year. He has yeah. fifty nine goals. No one else is more than 40. So there's that gap as well that you look at and say, well, how much better is he than everyone else is doing this? And, and that that's proof that, that he is. And, you know, Sheldon Keith made a good point the other day, guys. He said, look, and then this happens with all the stars, and it, it is what sets them apart is that they get by what the team is playing for them. Like Austin Matthews is, is what everybody is talking about in their, in their uh, pregame meetings or morning meetings on game day, Mitch Marner as well. 
and it, it doesn't matter. He just goes out and does what he does. And, uh, you know, the, the amount of hat tricks this year, I mean, you know, what is it? He's got, uh, he's got six. No other team has more than five, or that was the stat of a few days ago. I think the Oilers, Avalanche, and Ducks uh, all had five as a team, but no other team had, had as many hat tricks as Matthews himself. So there are many things you can point at, but just uh, the overall ability that is just unmatched and, you know, the, I don't see how you'd shut him out of a heart if he gets a 78. It would be crazy. Well, a couple things. First off, Sheldon Keefe, get him out there more at the end of the game. Um, <laughs> well, that's, that's a, number one. He is out there. It's just, it's a I know. It leads them with, he has two empty goals. That leads the team. A bunch of guys up one. So <laughs> it's, the not, kid. Uh, it's not It's not that he's not. It just it hasn't happened. You know, and he doesn't have a lot of power, uh, goals in overtime either. But So that's they're all coming Five on five goals. He has twenty six. No one. I, think I know. I saw that. Yeah. So all these things add up. I, I I was I was doing some math and I do it poorly. So bear with me on this one. But yeah. I'm looking at his first seasons in the league compared with Ovechkin's first seasons in the league. He's got more goals in just as many games as Ovechkin does. Yeah. As a matter of fact, it's by seven or eight or nine. But when we look at Ovechkin as the greatest goal scorer right now of our generation. And I know this is absolutely – I don't think people understand how good this kid is at doing the hardest thing it is to do in the National Hockey League. Yeah, and, you know, Ovechkin, what he's done is um, remarkable. You know, whether – whether he, that's, a, that's not even the right word to use. But it's like, it's like what Keith keeps saying about you know, Matthews. You kind of run out of things to say. But, you know, Matt, Ovechkin on the way to, to breaking Wayne Gretzky's overall goal record – Probably should have, and might need a few more seasons to get that done. But yep. um, then you look at it and go, well, you know, and what, and what, because once once hits that, how much time does he have left? How, you get a, you get right. say how much time does he have left now? At what point do you extrapolate that with with Matthews? And say, okay, um, when does he get to that point now? And he's already closing in. I think one more good season, he's going to set the lease record. It's four twenty. A franchise record, 420 goals all by Matt Sundin. And, uh, you know, what did, what did Bus Matthews at now? 350? So it's, yeah. I mean, that could happen next season. In fact, I would imagine that maybe at this time next year, if we're talking, it might already be done, which is, is incredible in itself, given the, the fact that at least have been around for 100 years in some form, or more than 100 years. And this guy's getting it done and he's still in his 20s. So, you know, the Ovechkin uh, comparable is one thing and, and, um, you know, the fact that Matthews is scoring at a, at a, at a greater pace is really as earlier in his career than you know, that's been was. Um, it, it, it's like, when no one else is doing it too. It's not like he has here. I mean, we see guys get a hundred points every so often, and there are some fifty goal scorers. But he just, it's, it's a, he's a machine, and yeah. And again, you, you come back to the hard thing, and the further this goes on, the less it becomes a debate. I don't even like to debate. I don't even question it. Yeah, he's in the running now. But 70 goals, there's no debate. Uh, Austin Matthews uh, back on the ice tonight with Morgan Riley against the uh, Vegas Golden Knights in Vegas. And to think if he was born two days earlier, uh, he would or, he would have an extra year in the National Hockey League, although it probably wouldn't have been with the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, just just remember, just remember, yeah. he was born in Northern California. He was born in the Sharks Bay Area. He's a California kid. <laughs> He's not an Arizona, Arizona kid. Arizona. Right, exactly. Yeah, you, you, <laughs> 
you guys in uh, San Jose. We're taking Bay the victories. Yeah, exactly. You can, you can claim them. <laughs> sure. That's all right. Definitely. You know, we'll, we'll overlook the fact he moved to Arizona. As he doesn't even, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's where you were born. Exactly. <laughs> we we do the same thing with golfer Adam Hadwin. He was born in Moose Jaw. <laughs> Uh, but everybody says he's from BC, but because he was moved there as an infant. But he's from Saskatchewan. Uh, Terry, uh, enjoy the rest of the road trip. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Thanks for having me, guys. Anytime. That is Terry Koch in Toronto Sun as the Leafs take on Vegas tonight. <laughs> 50 and 51 last night for Austin Matthews. And yeah. It's 50 is rare. I was just going through the list today just because of, so 50 is rare. 60. Pasternak and uh, and Matthews did it. Uh, Leon and McDavid Connors last year. 50, yeah. And McDavid last year. And then after that, it gets pretty slim. Most of the big, the great, the high numbers of goal scoring happened in the nineties. Well, all you have to do is look at the Maurice Richard Trophy, and what was the one year like thirty nine goals or something yeah. like that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's incredible. But so the kid, the kid, it's the hardest thing to do in the league, and he's doing it. At, on a regular basis, so, nightly basis. Uh, the Leafs uh, take on the Vegas Golden Knights, who will be without Mark Stone, who is on LTIR. It sounds like a lacerated spleen for the uh, star forward of the Vegas Golden Knights. That is from That's Frank right. Saravelli, uh report uh, for Vegas. So more injury problems uh, for the wow. Golden Knights. This is 980 CJME and 650 CKOM. Tammy and I drew him into with you here on the Green Zone on February the 22nd. Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! Unbelievable. Unbelievable is right. U.S. Uh, beating the Russians at the Olympics. Um, 4-3. I need to know why the, go- the guy who didn't score the game-winning goal is not in the Hockey Hall of Fame. I just need to know that. Shouldn't he be in the Hockey Hall of Fame, Drew? Guy who scored the game-winning goal. Yeah, obviously, if you score a game-winning goal in a, in a, anything against yeah. the Russians, you should be in the hockey hall thing. Yeah. Okay, so we're agreed on just that. A, just an absolute miss by the people who are in charge. Jamie and I drew Amanda with you here on a Thursday afternoon. Joanne Courtney. A former champion curler now on TSN's broadcast panel has the scenarios for the Scotties Tournament of Hearts. Apparently, Saskatchewan still has a chance to make the playoffs. But they need this specific thing to happen in the three games today that are going on right now. They need to get in Northern Ontario to lose, BC to lose, and Quebec to lose, to get into the playoffs. Unfortunately, Quebec is taking on Prince Edward Island, and PEI is 0-7, and they're not curling very well. Quebec's leading that game 3-2 to with Hammer in four. Um, Alberta and BC are tied, but Alberta has Hammer, and Manitoba leads Northern Ontario 2-1. to So... It's looking good for maybe two of the three, but they need PEI to pull off a major upset uh, to uh, make the playoffs, apparently. But here's the deal. 
You got to win to get in. If they would have won last night, they're they were already, already clinched a playoff spot at the Scotties Tournament of Hearts. So we'll keep you up to date throughout the afternoon. But right now, we're going to talk some sports business. Money. Breaking down the business of sports with Tom Mayonek. Our sport business analyst is Tom Mayonek, host of the Sport Market, heard every Saturday and Sunday here on CJME and CKOM. Tom, I'm going to editorialize before I ask you the first question. I think the deal between Canada soccer and Canadian soccer business is one of the shadiest deals in the Canadian sports business history um, because we now kind of know how it works. They cut a check for $3 million, $3.5 million, and I don't know, keep the rest, I guess, uh, for the marketing and the television contracts and sponsorship with Canada soccer. But now we know the Canadian Soccer Players Association – is filing a $40 million lawsuit against 15 current and former Canada soccer board members who signed this deal with Canadian soccer business. Uh, Tom, Drew and I both aren't sure. Do do they have a chance at winning? Like, can you really sue individual board members? Just because they're dumb? Well, let me let me begin by, by saying that there's the legal side of this, and then there's the, the PR side of this. And then ultimately, once those two are out of the way, it's, you know, what's in the best interest of the growth of the sport? Uh, even if this is a legal long shot to be able to uh, sustain this case and get a judgment against uh, uh, not only these, these, you know, 2018 board members, um, but against Canada soccer in general, uh even if it is a, a long shot, the reputational damage is significant. And I think on all parties, Canada soccer, Canadian, Canadian soccer business, uh, uh, Canada soccer, uh, the, the respective boards, is to get this thing handled. And it's dragged on to the point where, I guess, those close to the, 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 the women players felt that this is the only way they were going to be able to breakthrough and that's the situation that we're in right now the legal case certainly puts it back at the top of the 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 sport business agenda so to speak and i think you will see some movement including what i thought was already being worked on and that is renewing the deal between uh canada soccer and and csb uh, it is a deal that I can see going back into the pre-pandemic mindset of, of, of that board. When you're being guaranteed between three and four million dollars uh, in revenue, there's some attractiveness to that because you can just now focus on how you're going to be spending that money. But things have changed so much uh, in terms of Canada, Mexico, United States, 2026. The success, uh, you know, over these uh, past couple of years, an Olympic uh, a gold medal in Tokyo for the women, and of course qualification for the World Cup. That soccer as a property is worth a heck of a lot more now. The key is coming up with something that can be explained to the public uh, moving moving forward, and that will likely have to happen behind the scenes. And certainly, the the, the court case or the impending litigation. 
makes it a priority for everybody involved to pay more attention to this and come up with a more inspired uh, deal. Because again, even if you can rationalize, hey, you know what, we thought we were operating in the best interests of of Canadian soccer by taking this guaranteed money, uh, the 2024 environment is such that very few people are going to accept that. They're going to say that there has to be a uh, 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 more of a growth runway for the National Soccer Federation going forward when it comes to sponsorship, revenue, TV rights deals. So the money that they get, where does it go? Does it go to the players? Does it go to the national team? How do the players benefit from these deals? Or do they? Well, the, the, Drew, that's the, the number of the question right there. And if more attention, in my opinion, if more attention had been placed on that question and providing answers to that question, I don't think Canada soccer would be the subject or these directors would be the subject of a lawsuit <laughs> in, in 2024. Um, I think there need, this is a, a case study in how important transparency is. And if you're running business with integrity, you should never have problems with transparency. And in fact, the more open you are, you wind up gaining trust. And we see that, you know, given all of the stuff that's happened, and this is not the, the fault of any one board. It's, it's, it's a culture over a long period of time that, you know, both the men and the women feel that they haven't um, you know, been provided with the, the best possible support from their national federation. And, and, and soccer players are just, you know, one example of that. Other sports, you know, feel this, this the same way. But back to your question, they essentially, they're getting the three million in the first few years of the deal and then the four million in the back end of the deal. Uh, it's essentially a, a, you know, a, a 20 year proposition almost. Um, that money is going to Canada Soccer, and Canada Soccer is budgeting where it goes, how much of it goes to um, the women's program, the men's program. There's been issues in and around that. And and um, the players themselves don't necessarily see it directly, but there is line items for um, uh, honoraria. Um, they had to cancel some of their preparations for the uh, FIFA Women's World Cup last year because they ran out of dough. And, and, and that's why I think this is such a, a lightning rod issue is when Canada Soccer needed to have revenue, needed to be able to do some things. Maybe there could have been some negotiations uh, to get more money in so that some of these important preparations uh, weren't you know, falling by the wayside. You can say I'm wrong, and uh, but the people that run Canada soccer business, and I know some of them because they're involved in the CFL. Scott Mitchell's one of them, the Hamilton Tiger Cats. To me, they looked at it and went, wow, this Canada soccer is going to make some money. Let's cut a deal, and let's take over some things. And Canada soccer, the board members, didn't have the foresight of the potential, even though they knew at the time they had a okay shot at getting the World Cup, that Alfonso Davies and these guys are coming up the ranks and the women's soccer team is gaining popularity. It just looked at me like they made a completely ridiculous mistake 
by not having the foresight that the businessmen, the Canadian soccer business, had. Well, so let me just build on that quick that quick sidebar. Uh, you know, Scott Mitchell and I go back to the mid-1980s when I was at Tennis Canada. Uh, he was still at Molestar Entertainment back in the day. And, and, and certainly Bob Young of the Hamilton Tiger Cats, uh, you know, very, very successful owner and an owner that's done a lot of the right things for the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Um, uh, on the uh, Canada soccer side of things, I've got friends on the board, including one who is named in this lawsuit, Charmaine Crooks, who is the current president, was um, uh, on the board uh, in uh, uh, 2018, part of uh, part of that board, and and Charmaine is is good people. Uh, uh, Charlie Cazetto, another friend of mine, very lifelong contributor to soccer. I don't think anyone uh, was operating without uh, you know a, a a thought that you know what this is good not just for. Canada soccer business, sorry, Canadian soccer business, because we'll be able to uh, amass all these properties together, sell them in partnership with the CPL. From a from a Canada soccer business point of view, it made a lot of sense to make the pitch to Canada soccer. From a Canada soccer point of view, uh, despite you know um, the apparent lack of of foresight that properties would grow. There's something about getting guaranteed money that is appealing to, um, mm-hmm. you know, governors of an organization. And, and so what I'm saying is, you know, what, where the mistake was is not in doing the deal, but in the way they haven't negotiated the right exit deal or the right, um, how can I say, um, a trigger point so that if they, if they achieve a certain amount of revenue, Maybe there's more of a, a payment back to Canada Soccer, and that would hedge against the this, this scenario of World Cup success, uh, Olympic success, and, and now a hosting opportunity that will be the biggest business proposition that soccer has ever seen. And, and make no mistake, the World Cup is going to be that here in Canada. Uh, yes, it's just Toronto and Vancouver hosting those matches, but it is going to be a big deal for Canada to have World Cup matches happening uh, on on Canadian soil. And and so not to have the right exit clauses or trigger points that would mitigate a deal looking as bad as it does in 2024, um, you know, that probably, that probably shouldn't have been outside of the, uh, how can I say, the purview of the uh, Canada Soccer Board of Directors back in, in 2018. But it's easy to sort of um, uh, be critical of them now when they were looking at a situation, well, who else can we turn to here? Is there another place we can get three to four million per year guaranteed? So I, I see both sides, but I also think no matter where this legal case goes, from a PR point of view, it will not be sustainable for the deal to stay the way it's currently structured moving forward. There's going to be too much heat on Canada soccer, too much heat on the CPL, and they've got to be building goodwill in their respective markets as they try to, including CFL uh, you know, stadiums, as they try to uh, make this men's league um, you know, something that, the, that, that is a big part of the overall soccer ecosystem in this country. 
And it's going to be an interesting story to follow as uh, Canada's women's soccer team uh, on the pitch already in an international event. And it was uh, the uh, first job of the new captain to field some questions yesterday afternoon on a, a lawsuit uh, with a Canadian soccer and their association. Tom, I know you'll have more on this on the sport market and maybe even a chat about the Fanatics baseball jerseys that it's getting a lot of noise ahead <laughs> of spring training this weekend. Well, I'm glad I'm not wearing a Fanatics baseball jersey or pants set right now because uh, they're see-through. That's not the kind of Shohei Otani that we wanted to see. Uh, Tom Vanekt uh, will have a lot more on the sport market this coming weekend, Saturday, Sunday, here on 980 CJME and 650 CKOM. Jamie Niger, Amanda with you here on the Green Zone. Thanks for joining us. Well, we now know Saskatchewan still has a slight shot at making the uh, playoffs at the Scotties Tournament of Hearts, uh, but they need all these three things to happen. They need Manitoba to beat Northern Ontario. That is 2-2 right now. They need BC to lose to Alberta. It is 4-3 Alberta over BC. But the issue is they also need Quebec to lose, and Quebec just scored four on PEI, Ooh. and it's 7-2 to uh, for Quebec over PEI. But when you have to rely on other people to do get you in the playoffs, it's usually not <clears throat> going to work out for you. No. But as I said earlier, 4-4, four and four, even having a sniff at the playoffs for a 22-year-old skip and as young a team as they are out of Saskatchewan in their first Scotties against one of the toughest fields ever, to even be in the conversation of making the playoffs is a pretty good first go-around at the Scotties Tournament of Hearts. It's taken a lot of champions, a few cracks at it, to finally break through at the Scotties. Uh, so Skylar Ackerman uh, learned some lessons this week and will adapt to them. Is uh, Saskatchewan ever going to uh, be back on top when it comes to curling? There was a time. Oh, yeah. Dominant. They winning Briars. Yeah. Of course, the Richardsons, um, Campbells. Uh, of course, Rick Folk. And then on the women's Folk, side, we had Sandra Schmirler, Vera Pezzer, um, Amber Holland has won a Scotty's Tournament of Hearts. That was now 13 years ago. Uh, so Manitoba has taken over, and I don't understand why Alberta and Manitoba are so good and Saskatchewan's dried up a bit. Some of our better curlers, though, are curling in Alberta. Like Ben Heber went to Alberta. At one time, Colton Flash went to Alberta. Maybe more sponsorship money out of those to go on the tours and everything else. It's a hard commitment yeah. now to be a top-level curler. You need sponsorship money, and it, you know it's not like the old days where you worked 9 to 5 and went to curling in the evenings and won your city and then moved on up. Yeah, yeah. Change change. These are pro tours now, so uh, it'll be, I hate to say never, but... It's clear it's way tougher for Saskatchewan uh, to be on top of curling in Canada. 